Hey folks, welcome to our coverage of the Kim Potter manslaughter trial over the April 11th, 2021 shooting death of Dante Wright in a suburb of Minneapolis when then-police officer Potter unintentionally used her Glock 17 pistol in place of her intended taser. Today was the seventh day of the trial proper and a very good day for the defense indeed, with the arguable exception that the defense's predictable motion for acquittal was as predictably denied by the court. Next, we had testimony from the defense's excellent use-of-force expert, also from Potter's former police chief, and finally, from four character witnesses. With testimony completed for the day, the defense created a record, outside the hearing of the jury, of many of Dante Wright's bad acts. Evidence that the judge had declined to admit into evidence on character grounds. Finally, the judge noted that she'd be finalizing jury instructions this evening, and importantly, these would include an instruction on the authorized use of non-deadly force. It's noteworthy that the defense has only two more witnesses it intends to call. It's slip and capture expert Dr. Lawrence Miller and the defendant Kim Potter herself. As a result, testimony in this trial should be completed relatively early in the day tomorrow. After that, all that is left are the instruction of the jury, closing arguments, and final jury deliberations and the delivery of a verdict. Before I jump into things, I do want to briefly mention an exceptional opportunity for your consideration. Perhaps once every 12 or 18 months, we do one of our full-day Law of Self-Defense advanced classes. This is a full-day class. It's the equivalent of a law school seminar on self-defense law. It's applicable to all 50 states and taught in my usual plain English style without any confusing legalese. This class is taught live by me, streamed to you at your computer using Zoom, And there's plenty of opportunity for live Q&A with me during the class. On the rare occasions when we do one of our Law of Self-Defense Advanced Self-Defense Law classes, they invariably fill up almost immediately after we announce the date, and we've announced the date for this one. It's taking place on Saturday, January 8th, 2022. If you've ever wanted a true mastery of the Law of Self-Defense, here's the best, really among the only, opportunities to grab that expertise with both hands. Seats are already going fast, so if you're at all interested, I urge you to grab your slot today at lawofselfdefense.com slash advanced. So as a more general overview, the day began with the defense beginning with a motion of acquittal on the grounds that no reasonable jury could return a verdict of guilt based on the state's rather incoherent case in chief. This motion for acquittal was unsurprisingly rather summarily denied by Judge Chu. Such motions are routinely made at this stage of a trial and as routinely denied. Then the state promptly rested and the defense finally began its case in chief. The defense led off with its first witness, the extremely capable and impressive defense use of force expert Stephen Imes, who provided powerfully favorable opinion testimony for the defense. Next up was more very favorable testimony from former police chief Gannon, who had been forced to resign along with Potter following the right shooting and the nights of riots that followed. The day wrapped up with four relatively quick witnesses who were largely or entirely character witnesses for the defense, former fellow officer Colleen Freaky, neighborhood friend Hall, former Potter supervising Sergeant Roth, and former fellow officer Smith. It shouldn't matter, but this is the world we live in today, but both Hall and Smith appear to be men of color, which shows good judgment by the defense in terms of possible perception by the jury. 
That said, although this case was presented as white cop shoots young black man in the media, not a word about race was said in the course of the trial itself. With testimony completed for the day, the defense created a record outside the hearing of the jury of many of Dante Wright's bad acts, evidence that the judge had declined to admit into evidence on character grounds, and finally the judge noted she'd be finalizing instruction this evening. Importantly, Judge Chu also informed the parties that she planned to add an instruction on the authorized use of non-deadly force to supplement the already agreed-to parallel instruction on the authorized use of deadly force. Now, a bit more detail. Let's dive into the nuts and bolts. The day's proceedings began with the defense motion for a judgment of acquittal on the grounds that no reasonable jury could return a verdict of guilt based on the state's rather incoherent theory of the case. At times, the state has argued through its witness testimony that a taser would have been appropriate. That was Officer Lucky, a state's witness. Other times that it would have been inappropriate. The state's expert witness, Stoughton. Sometimes that deadly force would have been appropriate, Sergeant Johnson, and other times that it would have been inappropriate. Again, the state's expert, Stoughton. Those are all state's witnesses. Assistant DA Matthew Frank naturally argued against this motion, although in a rather disingenuous way. Frank essentially argued the concept of recklessness as that term is used in plain English, that Potter's unintentional use of a gun instead of a taser was simply reckless conduct. But that's not what recklessness means as a legal term of art. What Frank describes is properly understood as a mere mistake. Recklessness requires intentionally creating a deadly force risk and ignoring that risk. There's no evidence here that Potter intended to create a deadly force risk. Remarkably, Judge Chu herself observed that there aren't really any meaningful factual disputes in this case. And I would largely agree. Of course, in that case, there would seem to be no need of a jury at all, as the jury's role is to settle factual disputes. If there are no facts in dispute, then this is purely a legal matter, and Judge Chu is supposed to be the finder of law. In any case, Judge Chu denied the motion for acquittal, so the show was to go on. More favorably for the defense, Judge Chu informed the parties that she would allow the defense use of force expert to testify to deadly force issues, a matter that was still uncertain at the end of court yesterday. This despite Assistant DA Frank insisting on spending a chunk of the morning attempting to re-argue this issue. Less favorably for the defense, Judge Chu declined the defense request to put into evidence additional details about the recent felony drug conviction of Dante Wright's mother, who had testified on the first day of the trial. And that brings us to the first witness of the day, the first witness of the defense, case-in-chief Stephen Bradford Eames, defense use of force expert. So Eames is a recently retired law enforcement officer of 44 years' experience, and as is typically done with expert witnesses, the defense first had Eames recite his qualifications as an expert. Direct examination of Eames was conducted by attorney Paul Eng. To say that Eames has an impressive resume would perhaps be the understatement of the year, except that it would be an even greater understatement to say that the qualifications of Eames completely eclipsed those of the state's expert, Professor Seth Stoughton, who testified yesterday. Besides being an LEO for some 44 years, working his way from patrolman to chief of his department, Eames was also a graduate of the FBI National Academy, where I occasionally teach myself, and the equivalent DEA Academy, and had been commissioned as a U.S. Marshal in various task forces over his career. Ames spent many years as a full-time SWAT officer kicking in doors and serving felony warrants. 
He was awarded a Law Enforcement Silver Star Award for successfully saving a hostage being held in a liquor store robbery gone bad, a rescue that required him to shoot and kill the hostage taker. As recently as two months ago, Eames had still been driving a marked police car for a park service and was now testifying in court after driving from Missouri to Minnesota in his own car through storms and fire at his own expense without any payment by the defense and only a week after having had open heart surgery. I kid you not. Unlike state expert Stoughton, whose own law enforcement career was brief and mostly serving at a desk and some 15 years in the past and had never involved a critical incident, Eames had personally engaged in literally hundreds upon hundreds of critical incidents, meaning incidents involving explicit violence, usually of a deadly force nature. But it doesn't stop there. Eames had also traveled not just around the United States training other police departments, but also to dozens of countries around the world to train their police departments, often under the mandate of the U.S. Department of Justice. He'd literally trained thousands of other officers in use of force. Further, in the 1990s, Eames was also among the earliest classes of instructors for the then-new Taser device, and he literally wrote the national policies on best practices in the use of the Taser. Eames also had impressive academic credentials, including not only his own bachelor's and master's degrees, but full-time and adjunct teaching positions at the university level. He indicated he'd published hundreds of scholarly papers. And if that wasn't enough, When the state sought to impeach his credentials early in their cross-examination of Eames, it turns out that he spends his free time saving orphans in Haiti. Orphans in Haiti. The contrast of this straightforward and impressive man with the smarmy and effete Stoughton could not have been more stark. The bottom line of Eames' testimony was, as one would expect, the opposite of the conclusions of Stoughton, where Stoughton had essentially testified that neither deadly nor non-deadly force by Potter could be considered appropriate in this case. Eames testified that either deadly or non-deadly force would have been legally justified and within reasonable police conduct in this case. To understand how powerfully this exchange favors the defense, however, one would really need to observe and contrast the actual testimony of Stoughton yesterday and Eames today. As always, I've embedded the video of all of today's testimony in today's text content, and I did the same for yesterday, of course, so you can find Stoughton's video testimony there as well. On cross-examination, Assistant DA Frank was once again plotting and flailing with a bad start when he unintentionally led Eames to share his Haitian orphan-saving hobby with the jury. Mostly, Frank appeared to be upset that whereas his own use-of-force expert had produced a report of some 50 pages, Eames had delivered a report of a mere two or so pages. And those two or so pages choked the living heck out of Stoughton's 50. As usual, along with being ineffectual, Frank managed to burn more time on cross-examination, about an hour and a quarter, than the defense had spent on direct questioning. The defense did come back with a very brief, less-than-five-minute redirect of Eames. One matter the state had focused on in cross is that Eames had made relatively little use of the magic words of objective, reasonable officer, mentioning it only once or so before moving on to speaking in plain English. Here, in redirect, the defense had him use the magic words explicitly so the jury would know for certain he knew them and had testified to them. 
Here, Aang also snuck in a question about the danger to the officers if Wright had put the car in reverse. The objection was sustained, and Eames had not answered the question, but the jury had certainly heard the question. And Aang would circle back into this question of being dragged by a car with the next witness, former Chief Gannon. That brings us, of course, to the next witness, former Chief Gannon, Timothy Patrick Gannon. Uh, he had been the police chief on April 11th of the Brooklyn Center Police Department. He was compelled to resign along with Potter two days after the shooting of Dante Wright. Direct examination of Gannon was conducted by attorney Earl Gray. Gannon described that the political leadership of the city informed him that he could either resign and keep his retirement or be fired and lose his retirement, both because of his failure to immediately fire Potter without administrative review of her conduct, as well as his handling of the first two days of riots that followed the right shooting. Gannon's career was mostly a life in law enforcement, from patrolman to apparently every level of the Brooklyn Center Police Department, including multiple rounds at each commander station, before becoming chief in 2015. He had also served in combat areas as a military policeman in the Marine Corps prior to first becoming a patrolman in 1994. Gannon described Potter as a fine officer in all aspects of the job and one who went above and beyond with her volunteer activity for the DART Domestic Abuse Task Force, the Lima Assistance to Family of Fallen Officers, the Hostage Negotiation Team, and more. With respect to his review of her use of force on April 11th against Wright, he described it as within department policy and as a simple mistake. Either a taser or a gun would have been appropriate use of force under the circumstances presented to the officers by Wright. Gannon also recounted that he himself had once been dragged by a car driven by a suspect fleeing from his efforts to arrest him and the terror of the experience. Gannon delivered direct testimony very favorable to the defense and did so in a concise 20 minutes. Cross-examination of Gannon was again conducted by Assistant DA Matthew Frank, who as usual took more time to question the witness than had the defense and got a great deal less out of the effort. Frank's only substantive criticism of Gannon appeared to be that his opinion on Potter's use of force was not well-informed because it was based on only her own body camera video, which he had viewed the day of the event, and the dash camera video of Officer Lucky's squad car, which Gannon had seen only the week prior to his testimony. Gannon's response was essentially that the very reason he'd not immediately fired Potter after the event was precisely because not all the evidence had yet come in. When asked, Gannon affirmed that he liked and respected Potter, which Frank naturally used to suggest that his testimony was biased. The bottom line, the cross-examination of Gannon was 28 minutes of not much to write home about. Redirect of Gannon by Earl consisted of only a single question. Would you lie under oath to help a friend? Gannon's reply, there's a reason I'm an ex-chief. Nobody can make me do anything. Boom. Then Assistant DA Frank had a single question recross asking Gannon if he was merely offering his opinion here and Gannon confirmed that he was. The defense then offered four character witnesses, although one of them, Officer Colleen Fricky, had some modest firsthand knowledge of the events following the right shooting. She accompanied Potter back from the scene uh, to the BCPD headquarters. All of them said that Potter had a well-established reputation for being law-abiding and for peacefulness. Notably, two of these witnesses, Hall and Smith, were black men. Perhaps the most remarkable aspect of the testimony of these four witnesses 
was that the state chose the off-putting, rather unlikable, Assistant DA Joshua Larson to conduct their cross-examination. Larson was thoroughly hostile and snarky, especially to the nearly weeping officer Colleen Freaky, a woman, and took entirely the wrong tone. Why the state did not have Assistant DA Aaron Eldridge at least cross-examine Freaky, the woman, is beyond me. In any case, not much substantive to write about the testimony of these witnesses, so I'll simply refer you to the video of their testimony in the text version of today's content, which is linked in the description to this video. Or, if you're listening to audio, this podcast. And that was it for testimony for the day for the defense, uh, after which the defense created a record outside the hearing of the jury of many of Dante Wright's bad acts. This was evidence that the judge had declined to admit into evidence on character grounds, but the defense wanted a record of the evidence that had not been admitted. Finally, the judge noted she'd be finalizing jury instructions this evening, and importantly, Judge Chu also informed the parties that she planned to add an instruction on the authorized use of non-deadly force to supplement the already agreed-to parallel instruction on authorized use of deadly force. Although the state reserved the right to object to this instruction until they'd seen a draft, the addition of the non-deadly instruction would be very favorable to the defense. In effect, it would provide a path for the jury to an acquittal if they believed that non-deadly force was authorized and that the unintentional use of deadly force was simply a mistake or mere negligence. All right, folks, that's all I have for the moment. Be sure to join us at Legal Insurrection again tomorrow morning for our ongoing live coverage, including real-time commenting and streaming of the trial proceedings starting at about 9 a.m. Central Time. And then join us again at day's end for our analysis of the day's events. Until tomorrow morning, remember, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun so I'm hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. Until then, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.